tired of commuting across town for music lessons? Are you sick of crappy YouTube tutorials? Then go to fetchclass.com. www.fetchclass.com. Teach and be taught in a secure video conference one-on-one. Better than Skype and or FaceTime. Included is a scheduling system that reminds you of upcoming lessons. It's great for teachers and students alike. Join now and get learning. www.fetchclass.com That's www.fetchclass.com With yearly revenue at $347 billion per year on an e-commerce site, you need a website. You need bot.96.lt, a place to buy and sell anything. There's no need to build a website. It's built for you. Be part of an e-commerce community. If you already have a web store, you can join for free now. Go to bot.96.lt for more details. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the Apolog podcast. Thanks so much for supporting the show, and thanks a lot for telling a friend. You can go to www.apolog.esy.es. Apolog is spelt A-P-O-L-O-G-U-E dot E-S-Y dot E-S. Please subscribe. And if you're on iTunes, please subscribe to that too and rate and review the show. Also, if you shop on Amazon, be sure to click on the Amazon banner on the right side of apolog.esy.es. And bookmark it. And every time you shop on Amazon, go to that bookmark and you'll be supporting the show. It costs you no extra money, but it really helps me out. Thank you so much and enjoy this show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the Apolog Podcast. I've been going quite a while now. It's been really fun. I've been having a great time doing it. I'm going to keep this one short. Today we have Mr. Mike Cadeau who is an educator, guitar player, session musician, musician, all-around good guy. We uh, met up at York University, where we had a little chit-chat about what it's like to be an educator. Generally, just what it's like to be a guy in the education system. Uh, we had a great chat, so let me introduce to you Mr. Mike Cadot. Welcome to the Apolog Podcast. My name is Simon. I'm joined today by Mr. Mike Cadeau, who is an educator, a musician. Musician first. Musician first, I hope. Educator. <laughs> um, session musician. Some sessions, uh, arranger, do some arrangements and composing. Crazy you know, stuff. All aspects of the music industry. So um, you're a guitar player. Any other instruments? Play a little bit of piano, you know, just some, for some harmony things. Yeah. Um, well, we p- we'll probably get into my experience with musical instruments, but, mm-hmm. you know, I've played a few things. Are you a Canadian? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Born, Born and raised in, 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 uh, in Richmond Hill. Oh. Yeah. So just north of the city. I lived the first couple of years of my life there, I believe. Oh, okay. If not, my two older brothers did, and then we moved down to Squires Beach, which is down by the oh, okay. down by the lake. Okay, yeah, yeah. Richmond Hill, yeah. Um, do you have brothers and sisters? I've got two older brothers, mm-hmm. so I'm the youngest, um, and they were a big influence 
on me musically. Mm -hmm. um, record collections were yeah. big. How, so, how much older are they? Uh, my oldest brother's uh, about 11 years older than me, and then uh, the uh, middle brother is about six years older than me. How's it feel so, being the youngest? It's, uh, it's good. I mean, I think um, I had the advantage of, of uh, the experience for my older brothers, mm -hmm. and uh, they were, you know, positive, uh, you know, positive energy on me and always brought recordings home and stuff. So it was really nice to, mm -hmm. to have that. Um, in terms of my parents, well, I think the youngest always kind of gets spoiled, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. I know we, I'm the youngest too. Okay. So uh, definitely there is a little bit of uh, sometimes resentment from older siblings, mm. but at the same time, parents are like, These are, this is it. This is my, my last. That's right kick at the can at being right. a good parent yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you had a good yeah a good childhood you know you, yeah, yeah when did you start taking music lessons well you you know what's funny is i didn't decide uh -huh. i was really? my my parents decided for me was it like um, karate or is it, it was just, you know it was something one of the things to do right yeah. uh, you know um i was about seven when i started taking guitar lessons at the local the local music shop that was a i started at cosmo music which uh, a Newkirk? No, it was even before that. It okay. used to be a little, little hole in the wall at Young and Center Street okay. above a shop. They had the music shop below and then the lessons above, and they maybe only had maybe four or five mm -hmm. rooms. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I was seven, and, you know, n nobody was really musical in my family. Really? I mean, my mom sang, you know, she sang in the choir and church and things, and my dad was always, uh, my dad was really into dancing. He was a real dancer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so music was always kind of around us, but no real musicians in the family. Mm -hmm. um, so I started when I was seven, you know, usual things. Uh, you know, we all played soccer in the summertime mm -hmm. and, you know, the community stuff. And mm -hmm. then, um, and then I started taking lessons. My older, my parents tried to get my oldest brother into lessons but that didn't work mm -hmm. so that was so they they figured they'd try again with me yeah and, and it was with guitar and guitar wow. yeah. yeah and it was guitar right off the bat i remember they rented a guitar for me oh cool from cosmo from cosmo because <laughs> we weren't sure if it was going to take it in those days you, did, you just didn't go buy something no, you it's had true. to make sure you yeah it was going to take off before you invested in it yeah and um it kind of took off you know i enjoyed it uh it was fun so they bought me my first guitar, which was an acoustic guitar that was probably about twice the size of me. Right. Uh, you know, and I could hardly get my hands around the neck and stuff, but mm -hmm. it was good. And I had supportive teachers along the way. And, um, but I think the biggest influence or the biggest sort of uh, push for me was my mom who, you know, it, she really, it, not in a uh, negative way, but it was, it was forced. Mm -hmm. I had to go. Yeah, you know, I, I and I had to practice, and you know, and it was I didn't want to go at first. It was sort of there's no result. Yeah, yeah, you know, I don't want to do this, and yeah. it's you know, I'd rather be outside with my friends and stuff. But mm -hmm. she forced me to go, and every week we'd go, and I'd practice, and yeah, you know, and finally it sort of clicked in, and it was a, I think that whole process was um, looking back at it now, oh boy, over thirty years ago was that it. Um, it taught me that you know, if to stick with things, 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? Music does that. I'm in the same boat as you. I took piano lessons and my mom forced me yeah. to go. I sort of knew kind of a little bit how to play before I took lessons, but then there's scales and mm. there's, oh, there's the tricky, do that again, or yeah, rep yeah. repetition and yeah. no result. Yeah. And then finally something goes, oh, okay. It clicks I, in. Yeah. I know how to play music yeah. now. Yeah. And uh, this is something not a lot of people know how to do. And that sort of then drives you into learning more that's right yeah that's it's right. tough it's not like soccer where you inherently kind of know how to kick a ball that's right it's that's something right. you just you know it's yeah this is all technique and and skills and acquiring skills and trying to apply the skills yeah and, and it's a and it was interesting that i i mean i think as a child my parents realized that i was quite a um disciplined mm -hmm. uh, kid that would you know, stick with something and, and focus yeah. and, and, and not sort of be sporadic and, mm -hmm. you know, so. Probably through your mom instilling that in you, though, is yeah. to actually pick it. Yeah, same thing. It's so funny because you say the same, my mom said the exact same thing. You don't want to quit this. Yeah. Like, yeah, I do. <laughs> no, you don't. You know, and then yeah. because parents actually know more than kids. That's right. That, you know, they know. They've been around a lot longer. That's right. They understand and they have to push you at it and. You know, maybe that's not as much today. I don't know. Mm. I, you know. It's hard to know, you know. I, I think there's so many things going on today. It's just, it's hard to focus. I, I just find it, even as an educator, it's difficult to get students to focus mm -hmm. on. There's so much around. There's so many distractions. There's so... Yeah. We did, I don't know. I, I Maybe we had those when we were kids, but not to the degree that we no. that I experience it there's, today. I mean, you're, 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 how old are you? I'm 40. 40, okay. Yeah. So you're around the same age as me. I'm 45, and uh. oh, I'm 45 this year. But the whole idea of the 70s and sort of mm. this is something you have to stick at it. Yeah. Those are the times yeah. to actually, you know, put a, the parents put just a little bit of shame into yeah. their parenting, and that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And yeah. I, I say this almost every podcast that there just needs just to be a little bit of accountability. That's right. Not shame, but that's, accountability. That's right. You start at this, go as far as you can. Follow it through. Follow yeah. it through. We as parents will decide whether or not, you know, you're just good at it. I mean, if you're, say, put soccer in the same thing, when mm. the kid gets hurt every time he goes play soccer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe soccer's not the game. That's right. Just like if you're just not, there's no result playing, yeah. then. Maybe music's not your thing, yeah. you know, and I, you know, and I'm sure you do as much as I do is thank our parents for actually pushing us into it. Exactly. You know, exactly. because that is, there's not a lot of discipline, I think, for yeah. musicians these days. Yeah. Because there's, there's so many other ways to learn. That's right. And there's different techniques. Did you do a classical or were you? I started off with classical guitar and, um, and then, you know, but the usual rudiments and reading mm -hmm. and learning chords and things and eventually you know you learn songs and stuff and it kind of engages you mm -hmm. um but yeah i went through the normal sort of you know the berkeley book and learning how to play the scales and mm -hmm. doing all that and and i wish you know i wish i'd kept up with some some of the classical technique in terms of technical things but i sort yeah. of went off in another direction which was fine and yeah you know you could always revisit that stuff but I think I think you're you're right. It was it's really important to just follow through with something. Yeah. And and at least give it your all and not give up right away. And I think yeah. that's the lesson I learned. Yeah. And do you find yourself putting that into your children or child or Yeah, I, yeah. I mean my son is going to be turning 2 in a couple of months. So, so but yeah. I, already he I you know, I think exposure is a big thing and you know, his favorite 
we watch some DVDs and things, and he, he asks for the Elvis DVD. Uh, it warms this your morning heart. we watched Otis Redding, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and he just loves it. Yeah. I think kids inherently are drawn to... Good vibes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You My know. child loves Tom Waits' yeah. Off Swordfish Trombones, yeah. Down, yeah. Down, Down, Down. Yeah, it's like the happiest song in the world. It's just like in the backseat. <laughs> there's down, there's down. just something about it that just draws them in, and uh, and if you encourage it and, and expose them, I think, you know, somewhere down the road, it'll it'll make some connections. Right? Yeah. So. I mean, yeah, they say you are who you are in the first three years of your life. Yeah, yeah. And after that, yeah. it's a whole it's, lot of other, you know, exactly. dealing with all that. You exactly. Know? And uh, so you uh, you went through you. So when did you stop? When did you make that? Okay, I'm going to start taking jazz. I'm going to start learning about. It was funny. I mean, I went through a few teachers here and there, and then I I got out of Cosmo and I went to another school down in Thornhill and and hooked up with some some good teachers there. And then one of my teachers was Bobby Edwards, mm-hmm. who at the time I had no idea who he was, but he was he was one of the top session guitar players in Toronto for a long time. He did tons and tons of recordings and um, and lots of work at the CBC and things. And he got me into some really serious reading stuff and and, and listening to some different things and, and, and that. So that kind of took me in a different direction. And then I had, um, I connected with another teacher who was in Richmond Hill at the time. His name was Ed- Adrian Pellew. And um, he's still teaching. He still has a thriving teaching practice at home. And he was the one who really turned me on mm-hmm. to jazz. I, I had never heard, you know, he, I remember he had one day, he says, I, he, he was at a garage sale and he, and he saw all these records of his favorite guitar player, who was Howard Roberts. And he bought all, he had all the records, but he bought a whole slew of them for me and he gave them to me. Wow. And that was the turning point for me. Yeah. And I had heard this these Howard Roberts records and I was just hooked. I thought yeah. this was it. I, I I went out and I bought a Howard Roberts guitar. Uh, and now I own another one. Did you wear your hair like him? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he had any hair. Oh, okay. Actually. Well there you go. You shave your head. I've seen. <laughs> so he was a really big influence and and that was it. I, I started to learn some jazz standards, and we started to listen to lots of jazz recordings by Wes Montgomery and Howard Roberts and Tao Farlow. Mm-hmm. And my my teacher would make me cassette tapes at that time. He 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 would make cassette tapes for me, and I'd take them home and listen to them, and and that turned me on. And it, that was around the time that I was trying to decide what to do with my life. I was kind of grade ten, eleven, twelve, you know, and. I'm going, okay, well, what am I going to do now? For yeah. my, I'm going to be finished high school. Do I, do? I was always very strong academically. But um, did you ever have that thing in the back of your head, like I'm going to be as big as the Beatles? You or? know what? No. Yeah. No. I mean, at that time, I was already playing quite a bit around town. I, had, I was fortunate enough to hook up with some really good musicians. Um, and this is where my brother comes in, my brother Roy, uh, the middle brother, he sort of really encouraged me to get out there and he would take me out to jam sessions. At that time, there was lots and lots of jam sessions mm-hmm. around and they were always on off nights, Monday yeah. nights, Tuesday nights. And yeah. So it would have been 80? No, that would have been 90. 90s. 80, okay. 88, 89. 88, late 80s. Yeah. 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 You know, I was about, yeah, 15, 16. Yeah. And, um, and he would take me out to jam sessions. Of course, I was too young to go into the bars, but he'd take me in and... And we'd watch the band, and I'd bring my guitar, and he'd always go up and speak to the band. He was—he's very gregarious. Oh, he's like your manager. Yeah, yeah, very gregarious, yeah. kind of outspoken 
kind of guy. So he would go up and say, listen, my brother would like to jam with you. And and I'd go up, and here I was, 16, you know, 15, 16, and I'd be jamming with these musicians that were, you know, two, three times my age. And they were all very encouraging. It was, you know, I always had very positive experiences, and that's what I think was important. Yeah. So I'd go out to jam nights two, three nights a week. We'd be going out, you know, jamming, and I met some great musicians. And then I met a very important influence on me, a, a band leader. His name was Lloyd Williams, and he was a rhythm and blues singer. And um, at the time, he was, boy, probably in his 50s or so. And he had been around. He was from Jamaica, mm-hmm. and he had come to Toronto, and, and he had a band for many years, and they played around all the clubs. And and um, he, uh, I was at a jam session, and the owner of the bar said, listen, there's a band that's going to be playing here this weekend, and they don't have a guitar player. They always come in. It's just piano and you should come in and sit in with them. Maybe something might happen. This was a little club in Richmond Hill mm-hmm. called Penny's Roadhouse. It was a real seedy yeah. kind of place. And I went there with my guitar, and I, I introduced myself, and I sat in with them, and that was it. The next day, I was on breakfast television with them. Amazing. He asked me, can, you know, we're doing, we're doing breakfast television tomorrow. Can you come down? Wow. And, and, the, and that was it. I, I played with him for about seven or eight years. And we used to do tons of gigs. Mm-hmm. I was in high school at the yeah. time, grade 11 or so. Yeah. And we were working three nights, three, four nights a week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all in the GTA. We'd go up to Casino Rama and do oh, yeah, a week, cause... seven nights up at Casino Rama. Wow. And, How'd you get you know, out of school? Well, this is funny because, you know, I, I do Casino Rama for seven nights in a row. And being the academic that I was, I drove back home every night, oh, went my to God. classes during the day. Wow. And went back up. Did do the gig. That's drive. Get home at two, three in the morning. Wow. Get back up and do it for seven nights, and you know, and and we were playing Chicken Deli and St. Louis Bar and Grill yep. and all of these places. Many of them don't exist anymore. And he, I learned a lot. The musicians were great. Um, all very seasoned musicians, very supportive. Uh, the piano player was a really great jazz pianist by the name of Connie Maynard, who used to play at the Colonial Tavern and backed up some really big acts and really great jazz pianist um and so then i would go over to his house and you know he'd invite me over and you know and we'd play some jazz because i was just learning how to play jazz Mm -hmm. and we'd play standards in the basement and he'd show me things and stuff and i sort of that's what really hooked me was the you know being around people and and learning you know learning that stuff and big difference between classical teaching and mentorship which is what yeah. jazz essentially is yeah you're mentoring under somebody somebody's they don't need to tell you these are the chords mm. this is how it this is the music yeah go figure it out yeah you know and yeah. some of them you know some of the chords are like yeah there's a technical aspect of it yeah. and there's things that you need to learn and so on but what is all vibe that's right you know and you know i well does this go, I don't know, is there a cross parallel with like pop music where it feels right, then... Then go with it. Go yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah. and that, that was a very important lesson that Connie taught me. He, we were in the basement and and uh, we were playing a standard, I can't remember what it was, simple thing, and he'd be playing all of these chords and it was, sounded like all the wrong notes to me, mm-hmm. but he ended up making it sound great. And, and I said, well, what are you doing there? What, what chords are you playing? And he said, I don't know. That's amazing. You know, I don't know. It just feels right. He says, you find the limits of your instrument 
and what you can do, and you make it work. And I sort of took that, it was kind of a life lesson for me that, you know, there's no right or wrong way to do it. It's your way. And what it's a, and that's what sort of another aspect of jazz that hooked me was this personal aspect of it that you're able to bring in. The music is only as good as what you bring to it. Yeah. You know, and yeah. so. Your experience. And, exactly. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and it was great. I mean, and then I would, all of a sudden that opened up my world and I would try things that I would never try and I would sort of, you know, do things, some things worked, some things didn't. And I guess that's where experience came along is yeah. you, you try different things and some things were yeah. going to be okay and some yeah. things don't. But I think it was, what was important about that experience was it was in an atmosphere of support and um, encouragement. Oh, Yeah. You know, yeah, I can imagine some band leaders would be like, "You over there playing that wacky, crazy yeah. stuff? Stop, Stop that!" It. Exactly. I wrote it this way. Play it that way. Exactly. That's uh, yeah. And the other thing too is mistakes makes you learn. Yeah. You learn from your mistakes. Exactly. And if you you have a certain technique of where this finger goes to that finger, and that's a mistake, then you tend to not put that into your technique, mm. and then from there you learn new technique in your own technique. Exactly. Eventually. Exactly. Yeah. And it was interesting because we used to play in that band and we did all the, the, the other thing I learned was repertoire and I think it was important. And I try to get students to get this idea of learning as much repertoire as possible. Yeah. In your back and, pocket. You know. And not, not specifically jazz. I mean, you know, I was doing those R&B gigs and I was playing, we were playing My Girl and Mustang Sally and yeah. all of those tunes. I had never really heard yeah. that stuff. Right. I'd learned a lot of it on the bandstand. I yeah. mean, the guys would say, okay, it's in C and this. And, but what I think was the next important step in that process was they called a tune, I didn't know it, kind of used my musicianship to kind of get through it that yeah. night. And then I'd go home and I'd learn it. I was thinking my girl has like a guitar break there. Like, yeah. How'd you get around that? Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> but the piano player helped me out, right? And the next day yeah. we had a gig the next day and I... I sure as hell went home and I learned yeah. the tune. Yeah, and, and listening to music, being a fan of music is, I think, as important as being good at playing music. Yeah, you have to. There's a. There's we we. I'm sure we both have a little uh, deal with a bit of what's musical snobbery mm. and purists. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I wholeheartedly say I disagree with that. Yeah, you need to appreciate good things in music to be able to know what you like that's right if you and you and if even it's a music style you don't like you have to find something that it, you enjoy that's right otherwise we we'll just sit here and go that's a piece of shit i that's, hate that yeah this is all music oh. yeah and you become jaded in that's life. right that's right you know I, I think we all i did got to that point in my life where i'm like i don't want to hate I, music yeah i exactly. love music exactly <laughs> you know yeah and you know we're 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 ball bias in many ways i mean we sure. like what we like and but I think it's all—it's important to keep an open mind, and I think all the great musicians that I looked up to um, always had an open mind. Yeah. And you—you you listen to their their body of work, and it evolves over mm-hmm. time. I mean, you brought up the Beatles, and it was one of the first groups that I—you know—I was learning guitar player like many. Yeah. You know, you learn some Beatles tunes yeah. and, and things. And so I would learn Help and Yellow Submarine and Yesterday and yeah. all those tunes. And I, th- and I had the records, you know, the, the red album and the blue album, yeah. the double. And I would listen to them and I'd learn the songs and I bought a Beatles book and we'd learn them with my teacher. And and then, you know, 10 years later, I discovered the other Beatles, you know. 
That's and Sergeant really, Peppers and yeah. Revolver. And I yeah. thought, holy smokes, this is a whole other world. Yeah, and, your mind is blown. Yeah. Um, did you have a favorite Beatle? And has it the same uh, beat? Is it the same Beatle? You know what? It, it's funny. I don't. I, I mean, of course, being a guitar player, George Harrison, yeah. the, the sort of silent, strong type that yeah. a solid guitar player, um, his contributions uh, compositionally and, and lyrically were always great. Yeah, I he loved was holding his the Beatles tunes. up towards the end, wasn't he? You know, he? I love his tunes. Yeah. But I, I'm sort of partial to McCartney. I think mm-hmm. I, I really like McCartney and his his voice is great and his ideas are great. And yeah. so, but it's, you know, so I've always sort of been drawn to artists that evolve over time, I mm-hmm. think. And, and because I find myself evolving. Yeah. And things that I listen to 10 years, I, I'm sort of not listening to and and um, sort of trying to always push boundaries with my own uh, listening and learning and things. And I think that's what keeps us going in, yeah. in music, right, yeah. is, is the fact that it never really ends. And there's always something you can get from whatever artist or musical style or era or, you know. Yeah. So there's always something to to gain from it so yeah i mean it was funny because i I, as a as a kid i um i grew up listening to the music of my brother's generation and um you know led zeppelin i I remember when my brother would bring in a led zeppelin record and you know go to the store and bring in through the outdoor or or something or you know uh van halen or something those albums were just coming out and and I, that's what I would be listening to, yeah. Because you know, my listening experience—if if I think back, 16, 15, 16 years old—that brings me to the late '80s. I wasn't listening to stuff from the late '80s. No, I was because lis- it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like speaking of closed-mindedness, so no, I, you know, I, I was listening to stuff from the '70s. Yeah, right? I was listening to Led Zeppelin and yeah. Black Sabbath, and yeah, and yeah. I was learning the, that stuff and learning yeah. those licks and yeah. If anything, the eighties so. figured out in the late eighties was um, we don't need to put gated reverb on every That's snare right. all the time. <laughs> Somebody in the n- late eighty nine, ninety went, figured you know what? Out. Maybe we're done with this. This so. box, throw it away. <laughs> this sounds dated now. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny listening to the eighties satellite station. You go, yeah. I have no idea when this was recorded. That's right. I have no idea. <laughs> I think it was gotta be seventy two. That's you know? good. Yeah. yeah that so. was so yeah, so you were I, it's so funny. It's a parallel here because same thing with me. I was listening to modern-ish music, but I was definitely 10, 15 years behind yeah. in my yeah. catalog, what I had sort of in my, what I liked. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and to listen to new music now for me, I think, you know, it's funny because I, I find myself always a little bit behind mm. where the style is. Me and, too, yeah. Because it's so fast and everything's happening, even in the 90s when music changed so much mm. that it was like, okay, I need to hang on to something here. Yeah. I don't want to move on and then forget That's right. all yeah. the good stuff or miss the good stuff. Yeah. So at my own leisure, and this is all wasn't like a, a planned thing, but yeah. it was like, okay, I'm going to go back. And I'm going to think. Yeah. Same in the 80s with Elvis Costello. Yeah. Because yeah, I never exactly. really listened to Elvis Costello yeah. until like the late 80s. Yeah. And I started listening to the 70s Elvis yeah. Costello and yeah. it blew my mind. Yeah. And then going all the way through. And then because he's such a huge That's expanse right. of catalog that yeah. you don't want to miss it all. That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I mean, yeah, I think it's an, that's another important thing to sort of get across to students especially is that take the time 
to absorb what what your experience. Yeah, you know, don't feel you have to move with the trends. I think music is. I mean, pop culture is. You know, it's trendy, and things are in and out very quickly. And some things that are, you know, earth shattering today are long forgotten tomorrow, and things come and go. And but I think it's important to if you choose something and absorb it and take the time to really understand what's happening yeah both musically and culturally yeah because i think it's really important to um to put everything into some sort of cultural perspective cultural and historical perspective because yeah. music's not a you know not created in a vacuum no you know and yeah. all the artists we think about you know they they had something to say socially and culturally and you mentioned elvis costello mm-hmm. is a you know prime example or Bob Dylan or, yeah. you know, any number of artists. Yeah. That, and no Bob Dylan, no Elvis Costello. Yeah. You know. You know, and there's a lineage to follow. Yeah. And I think it's important to yeah. sort of understand that and absorb it and let it sink in before you move on to something else. Yeah. Because otherwise we end up just following trends and yeah. it's, you know. And jazz and blues never really had the taste de jour. It was kind of like always in the background that got the Elvis's successful yeah that got the Beatles successful that got all sorts of it was the bare nuts and bolts yeah. of what musical I mean, trends yeah. ended up being yeah and I think that's kind of an interesting thing for jazz and blues I'm gonna lump the two together because yeah, yeah. you know yeah it started something that other people took off with that's right and there's the old story of there's the poor black musician that mm. wrote the song that the Beatles or someone Elvis did yeah. that called it theirs and because it was all archaic uh, uh, with exactly songwriting credits and yeah, whatnot that yeah. that poor black guy is still a poor black guy. That's right. That's right. And I think it's important for us to understand that, that there's music is not only about music. Music is about context and, and history and, you know, and who's creating the music, who is, who's disseminating the music, who is interpreting the music and, Sort of, there's lots of sort of uh, steps that go into that, you know, that original version of Hound Dog and how it gets mm-hmm. to Elvis and and sort of how it comes full circle, or you know, and it, all the other songs and uh, what's what's the one I'm thinking of the Willie Dixon tune that Led Zeppelin then appropriated and and there was a lawsuit and yeah. That's, uh, boy. Not Disney. Disney. No, it was, uh, uh, it'll come to me. But, we'll Google it. You know, it's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it's this whole idea of, of uh, the creation of music and then the interpretation or the dissemination of it and where it goes. And yeah. That, and yeah. What, ha- what ends up happening to it. Yeah. But it's, I mean, we're living that now with um, the recent, you know, Robin Thicke and Marvin Gaye. That's right. Estate, right? I yeah. mean, this these kinds of issues always. Yep, it's my are, sweet lord all over again. It, it's always there. It, yeah. it comes around. It comes full circle, yeah. and things sort of. And it's important. And I and I think, if anything comes out of that, it's at least an awareness of people that their things don't just come out of thin air. Yeah, it's it's all about what you've heard. You know? That's right. Yeah. There's a lineage. There's yeah. a history there that. You know, every performance that we hear, every recording we hear, it's there's all kinds of historical and cultural baggage yeah, there yeah, that, that yeah. we need to unpack and we need to understand. Otherwise, we just get lost with the product. And the product, you know, the song. I mean, I, it blurred lines. It's a product, and it's a yeah. it's a 
great tune. It's catchy. Yeah. It's and why can, there's no real exp- explanation as to why it is. Yeah, it just is. It just is. It you know, taps it, into where we are in our life, the masses at the time that make yeah. a society. It's crazy. A hit song is just a, to it, me is it's a serendipitous yeah. event, right? It's nothing you can't predict it. You we can't. need those psychics that can read on TV. The, yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Put tea leaves and go. What's it gonna be? <laughs> it's gonna be about um, I don't know different type. Of this no one's really invented a new style of music. No. I think ex- since hip hop. Yeah, you know. I think yeah. maybe I'm well style. You know. Yeah, hip hop is the that's right. The closest thing to what jazz and blues, um, that's society right. versus that's all these right. things. And the I'm not a musicologist. I mean, yeah. you know, yeah. but that's what I see. And I'm sure there's 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 a lot that hip hop pushed things forward. That's right. About you know, it did definitely with copyright infringement because yeah. people started getting all tweaky about that's my sample. Sampling and, and James Brown is the most sampled. That's right. The, dr- the drum, the famous drum break, and, and, the, and the, yeah, yeah. I mean, so. It's, you know, I think that's what makes music in sort of this wonderful experience, right? Because there's just so much involved. I mean, sound is one aspect of it. There's all yeah. kinds of other, you know, things to think about when you're listening to that song, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think, it, it, unfortunately, and this is my sort of dig into modern pop culture, is I think, unfortunately... um People don't give things a chance or, or don't invest the time and energy to really delve into something. We can't. We're, We're too fast. It's too fast. It's too fast. Right? So it's just Is that what school's for? Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's what school's for. Is everybody just to sort of, okay, let's Slow sit down, it down a little bit. Slow it down. I know, you know, this is funny about schooling systems is that university always seems to be about a little bit behind in, in that's technology right. a little bit behind stuff but there's a reason for it that's right you know maybe there, maybe that's part of the reason is to, i think you know and history is a is a good lesson that sometimes uh, you need to step back and let the dust settle before you can really make sense of yeah what has happened it's like the basic scientific theory that's then your yeah. hypothesis and yeah. then law or whatever and it's a it's, long process right oh absolutely and i think modern society we're losing that that patience, I think. Yeah, right. yeah. It's funny how music, um, um, like universities versus, say, YouTube. Yeah, where you can just go to YouTube and find somebody's theory on X, Y, Z. Yeah, yeah. But the person that is in a university who may say, "Oh, there's X, Y, and F." Yeah, yeah. To say there's a whole different way of thinking of this. And That's right. I always thought, as a university working at one, not being never going to one. Mm. But I think it's not about what you learn, it's how you learn it. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that, that is important. The important process. Thing. Process, yeah. 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 And, and so your technique is, is, must be a little bit like that. Is it? What? I, I think, you know, I, I'm kind of, uh, I approach things from an academic standpoint. I mean, I, I'm trying to finish up my PhD in ethnomusicology. So I've, you know, and I look a lot at musical styles and the evolving styles and, their cultural references and, and cultural relevance and those sorts of things. So it kind of, that perspective um, informs my listening. Mm-hmm. It informs my learning. Yeah. Uh, it informs how I play, I think. Yeah. You oh, know, sure. It, absolutely. It's, 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 and it's very difficult to distill any of those aspects out, but I think it's, it's, um, it's what makes, you know, what makes you, you is this sort of, 
bringing in all of these elements on a very subconscious level and then what you end up with is is a conglomeration of all of these different aspects of your life right yeah. and, I, and i think that's an important uh, thing about um, artists in general is that uh, at any given time their experiences um, that that make up their lives uh, sort of come through in sometimes very different ways uh, you know we musically is one but maybe lyrically, maybe the way they dress or present themselves on stage. All mm -hmm. of these things really are what the artists... They uh, go through. Yeah. yeah. That's why Rush always wore kimonos. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're going through something. <laughs> yeah. We've got to figure that one out. Yeah. The more, <laughs> I mean, the more serious look at that would be Van Gogh as an artist. Yeah. He started off drawing portraits and yeah. then went completely abstract. But then yeah. again, he was going slowly but surely crazy Yeah, because he was eating his paint. Yeah. So, so the idea of like being able to start somewhere as I can play a regular chord yeah. to being, you know, sort of midlife going, I want to play real a lot Yeah, to being able to go, you know what? I don't need to play. So I don't much. need to play so many. I don't notes, need to yeah. play so many notes. Yeah. I mean, as a, I play bass in bands for okay. my, most of my life. I don't play the G string anymore. Yeah. I might as well just take it off. Yeah. Why? It yeah. just, it doesn't sound right to yeah. me. You know, I'd yeah, rather yeah. play whatever I'm playing higher up on the neck and not worry about an open G. Yeah, and that's, I think that's a sort of a, uh, um, it demonstrates growth as a as a musician, as mm -hmm. an artist, right? I mean, I, if, you know, when you're young, for me, I, I just wanted to play fast. I wanted yeah. to play as many notes as possible and fast. I was never good at it. I could mm -hmm. never really do it. I would listen to Van Halen records and go, wow, how does he do that? Yeah. And I thought. So it's half a bottle of Jack. Yeah, <laughs> that and, and putting in maybe 12 hours a day at doing that yeah. very thing yeah and then i thought you know what maybe somewhere, that's the thing somewhere along the line i i i still appreciate it i think it's wonderful i think it's amazing how some of these uh musicians um have brought the technical level of of whatever instrument they play yeah. to this just highest level it's just really inspiring yeah in that way yeah and it's something to always uh try to attain but i think ultimately you have to figure out what you know what your priorities are. You can't do everything, and 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 for me, when I I think studying at university when I was doing my undergraduate degree, that really opened up a, a whole world for me, and the world was that music wasn't just guitar. Yeah. At that up until then, for me, music was just guitar. Yeah. You know, I wanted to learn how to play guitar. I playing guitar. I sort of saw everything through the lens of the guitar, mm -hmm. and then coming to university, we were listening to. You know, Stravinsky and Bartok and Schoenberg and all of these composers and, and mm -hmm. that just, it wasn't about the instrument anymore. It was about the music, you yeah. know, it, their music and their, their composition transcended the instruments. I was talking to a friend who I can't remember his name now, but he talked about his solos, guitar solos. And he says, my favorite solos to play, I want them to sound like a saxophone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like. That sounds wacky now because I hear it and I can hear that. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. are trying to play like a saxophone. Yeah. Okay, I th cool. I, th I think, you know, when we learn how to play, we, we sort of learn our instrument, we learn the techniques and things, and then eventually we want to transcend the instrument because, and this was a, an important thing that a, a teacher of mine, one of my first teachers told me is uh, the one that sort of got me into jazz, Adrian. He said, you know, the, the guitar, it's just a block of wood. <laughs> and... 
it's the same, uh, I use the analogy that it's the same as a typewriter to a writer. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's not the typewriter that creates for whom the bell tolls. Yeah, yeah. It's the writer. It's true. A- and, and the instrument is a way, is a mode of communication. And I think as musicians and artists, what we need to do is we need to think beyond the instrument and think, what is it we want to say? How can we how can we get it across through this typewriter, mm-hmm. and um, and in sort of in the most meaningful way that that uh, conveys what you're trying to exactly. Yeah. So yeah. and that kind of open and and so when I started to listen to Stravinsky and Bartok and these composers, that that came across because whether it was a solo piano piece or whether it was a string quartet or whether it was an orchestral piece the message of the music always came across. It was never about the instruments. No. It was about... Some of the whole... That's right. Yeah. That's so, crazy. And, and that sort of has shaped my view of, of music now in that I happen to play guitar, and yes, I do many things that are very guitaristic. Mm-hmm. We can't get away from that. No. The instrument itself lends itself to certain things. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, my goal is to try and be as musical as possible without... Somebody saying, "Oh, he's a guitar player." Mm-hmm. I was. I'm hoping that, you know, eventually I'll become a musician. <laughs> you know. Do you do you um, do you write? And... I do. Yeah. I write. I don't write as much as I'd like to. You know, life yeah. sort of gets in the way. I'm. Yeah. Uh, I'm at York University teaching, and and that takes up most of my life. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm teaching. Oh boy, any given year, six or seven courses, which is crazy, and trying to maintain an active. Yeah, performance uh, schedule, schedule, yeah. and and now I'm raising a family, and I got married, and we have a son, and so you know things are busy, but I'll get back at it. You know, yeah. I I mean I'd 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 love to write. I, I I really like writing. I um I think I have some things to say. Yeah, I just need to find my space and yeah. and get back at it. And you know how it is. I mean, life sort of takes you through all these oh, twists yeah. and turns, yeah. and it and, helps with the writing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, and and maybe, yeah, exactly. Maybe I haven't written in a while because uh, you know I'm gaining the experience I need to mm-hmm. to move to the next level. So yeah, but I I love compose, and I I really enjoy listening to um, great compositions and and new artists and uh, things that inspire me. And mm-hmm. So, do you ever find yourself writing in a style of what you're influenced by at so. the moment? I yeah. think so. Yeah, and that's, uh, that's that's crazy. Yeah, that's I, exactly what we were talking about. Yeah. How music transcends and exactly, and it's at at a subconscious level. I think what's another important uh, lesson was, um, you know, uh, Jim Hall, great jazz guitar player who just passed away uh, last year. Um, I remember listening to his records, and I would buy his stuff, and I went to hear him play a couple of times, and. And he said something in an interview which was funny. They asked him, what music do you listen to, and especially when you to get inspired at, for a gig or something? And he says, I don't listen to anything. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I thought, that's an interesting thing. And, and so I've adopted that. And when I drive down to the gig or drive over to gigs, and the radio's off and it's silence yeah. in the car. You're just prepping. Just prep, you know, yeah. because I found myself listening to something, you know, and then getting on the gig and playing, yeah. What I, you know, it it was coming out subconsciously, and it took me a while to realize this. And going, man, I just played those licks that I just heard on the radio That's on the way down to the gig. 
It's funny. And not that I ever sat down and learned them. It just or, happened. It just happened yeah. subconsciously. And I thought, yeah. if I want to be me, I think I need to clear my conscious the palate. space. Yeah. The palate needs yeah. to be cleansed. Yeah. yeah. And then I, get to the gig as fresh as possible and let the ideas of the moment there. flow. Yeah. And you do a lot of improvisational stuff while you're playing. So you're kind of playing around. You have your charts. Yeah. But you're kind of just mulling you know, around. Exactly. And improvising around and trying to come up with ideas. And, and improvising is an interesting uh, thing or whatever we want to call it. Is it a state of being or a, an art or mm. something? It, it's because... If you do it twice... Be, that's jazz. That, yeah. If you do that it once. Then it's improvised. Then it's improvised. Yeah. yeah. And I've always admired the true, true improvisers, you know. The, oh, yeah. The ones that you go and hear them play on any given night or hear recordings, and it's, a, it's something fresh. Yeah. Yeah. And every time they bring something fresh to the experience, and that's really rare. And I've tried my hand at just trying to write something that I hear to put it onto a keyboard. Mm. It's harder than you think. It's really difficult. It's difficult. Yeah. Because, because we fall into our usual traps. That exactly. Our hands, I mean, and that's the other thing I told students is you'd be amazed at how your muscles tell your brain what to do. Oh, yeah. It's you on know? autopilot. It's, and it's a yeah. lot of it's out of sheer nerves because yeah. you need a safety, you need a net. That's right. You know. You don't want to go up there and try something you've never done no. before and and. No. and with a possibility of failing or sounding like an idiot. Sure. Right? So, I mean, but it's it's amazing to hear some true improvisers and how they can take a given situation, they're presented with a given situation, whether it be a location, a uh, time, a theme, something, and are able to shape whatever yeah. their experience at the moment is into some kind of musical message, and that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, we have a wonderful, wonderful a uh, professor at York University who is, is just absolutely inspiring. His name Casey Sokol. Oh, yeah, we were just talking about him. Yeah, who is just is one of those people who the art of improvisation has become a state of being and doesn't he does not rely on the patterns and the and the usual things that it's it's whatever the situation dictates, he's able to shape yeah. something out of it and and that's always very inspirational i mean it's it's great i mean to get to that level what people don't realize is that his level of musicianship is at the utmost oh yeah highest absolutely level his yeah. musicianship is unbelievable but you hear him play and most of the times you wouldn't realize that it's not about the, the yeah. technical yeah. it's about whatever he's trying to say in, uh, in any moment so yeah we did a i guess we did a prepared piano piece a couple of years oh, okay. ago here okay That's... him and andrew cbc andrew uh craig, andrew craig craig yeah. yeah yeah and uh both playing prepared pianos okay. and okay. Uh, you should have seen our because i work in the technical side of it and you should have seen people because he's sticking erasers and yeah, screws yeah, and, and screws and, and he goes it's okay <laughs> it's okay it's no problem i'm like <laughs> I've never, and he plays it, and it's just, just the wackiest thing. Yeah, yeah. And I have pictures of them because they had to, first of all, he did one without prepared. Okay. And then he had to prepare the piano yeah. in the intermission. Yeah. And he had oh, this wow. map set up, and he's putting it all together. Yeah, yeah. You remember, uh, was it one of the Cage, John Cage pieces? Yes. That prepare for prepare That's piano. That's right, yeah, 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 the two pianos. And yeah, I yeah. look at the music, and it's little squiggly marks. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, think yeah. this. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I and mean, that's a quite, that's a skill. It's It's just a real. Yeah. And I remember when I was doing my undergrad, we had another professor here at York who was also a really big influence on me, was James Tenney. 
Yes, he um, passed away a couple. Of years. He passed away a few years ago, and he ended up retiring from York and went to um, uh, Cal State and taught there for a number of years before he passed away. But really prolific composer, and kind of that old school American composer that came up studying with some of the greats like Harry Parch and people that were really pushing boundaries with tuning systems mm-hmm. and, and were creating their own instruments to get across what they were trying to uh, say. And and Jim would always hold concerts in um, uh, the winters. Uh, what was it Daiquiri. called? No, there, but also there was a little room. Maybe it was the senior common room or something. Was it the they cafeteria were, beside the by the absinthe? Across from yeah, there. Yeah, and, um, It's a cafeteria. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there was a piano in there, and he would prepare the piano, and he would play some of the cage pieces crazy. and things. Any of this get recorded? I don't, I don't know. Crazy. Right? It's really crazy, all the kind of stuff, all the stuff that was going on at that time. And, That's insanity. Yeah, yeah. And, and he was a real champion of, of modern 20th century music, and he would, any opportunity to play it or expose students to it, he would, and it was really great. I mean, and so we would go, and there'd just be a handful of us and just sitting around the piano, and he'd play this cage prepared piano piece or something, and it was great. So I, I look back on those days, uh, um, doing my undergraduate degree, it was really great because I was very active performing, mm-hmm. playing three, four nights a week, rhythm and blues, soul, pop, rock, mm-hmm. in the clubs, yeah. a lot of stuff going on. And then in the day, it was kind of my alter ego of learning, at, attending a class with James Tenney yeah. and talking about Schoenberg. Yeah. So you're, you're a student at, here? At York, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, attending a class and talking about Schoenberg or wow. you know, Stravinsky and things I had just, it was amazing. That must have been wild times, too, because that's kind of when university, what years was this around? I started my degree in 93. 93. So, so like, around 90s. sort of, all, when did things stop being fun here? Yeah, it was, <laughs> it's interesting, you know. I mean, the ins, it, it was always an institution. Yes. But, but it didn't feel like an institution. No. It you felt know? what universities should be. Yeah, it was a space of learning. It was, it was really open. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of freedom. Yeah. It was. Um, it seemed like at the time th- the instructors were free to explore, you know, whatever. There's no interests. curriculum. There was the curriculums and Loosely things. Were, yeah, you know. Yeah. And now things, you know. There's I, bottom I guess, lines. I guess, and accountability is the sort yeah. of the word of. But the, I think the buzzword, a university gets right? a pass about accountability. Yeah. I mean. Honestly, the people, I mean, we could talk all day about university systems today versus what it was, mm-hmm. what it could be. But I think university gets a pass about, well, what are you going to do today? I'm going to think about the color blue. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds like a good thing to do. That's what I'm going to do. Why? Because it's part of my, you know, I yeah, don't yeah. you can make yeah, any yeah. bullshit up yeah, you yeah. want, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think university should get a pass because it goes back to what I said before. You need to learn how to learn. Yeah. They're not teaching you the alphabet. No. They're not teaching you yeah. how to play. They're teaching yeah. you techniques and style and so many things that, here, let me show you. Yeah. And yeah. then you learn. That's right. I think it's, it's the university has become sort of, well... Uh, you know, and I think it's coming from top down from the government, the federal government and all this, that the university has to be a training ground for people to enter the workforce and gain some sort of skill set that is going to make them, you know, marketable or something. And and whereas that, you know, even as as early as 20 years ago wasn't the case, that was Mm -hmm. the college's job. 
Yeah. You went to the college and you Go learned learn AutoCAD. You Go learned, be an engineer. Yeah, yeah. You learned a trade and you yeah. learned these sort of hard skills and things that would, you know, uh, be, help you in the workforce. Whereas the university was a thinking, a place to learn how to think and to learn how to learn and yeah. to broaden your perspectives and to sort of open up your mind to different modes of thinking and all yeah. those things. And I think some of that is getting lost at the university. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a lot of pressure from up above that, you know. They need to show something. We need to have some sort of results at the end or some. And, and uh, yeah. well, we have results. Yeah. We don't need to. Well, I mean, we, we have so many people have come out of the, just this facet yeah. of the university yeah. that have gone on to do great, great yeah, things. Exactly. And would they, um, if they were in a system of today, the question is, would they be these people 20 years from now? That's these right. people that are coming out are getting churned out. Yeah. Cookie cutter style, whatever. Go off and be famous now. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be. I don't know. That's that's sort of maybe a pessimistic way of looking at things, but we need to, as a university, be able to let students do kind of what they need to do, and and get graded on who they are, not what they can do. That's right. I don't yeah. know. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think it's it's about trying to, uh, you know, like I said, learn how to learn and open up your mind, and then uh, your career path or life will take you down whatever road, and yeah. and you bring those, you know. Whether or not you're going to be a musician or not. It doesn't, yeah, exactly. Yeah. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. But I think you, you cannot erase the experience and what you've, yeah. you know, who well, I you are. I think it's a huge injustice that, well, that arts department is part of the mandate of anybody who comes to university. If they're taking a Bachelor of Arts, they need to go take an arts mm. course of sorts. Yeah. Why they're actually, it's part of the course to become whatever, the psychologist or to become a businessman or something, yeah. but it's part of their curriculum. Yeah. Why are we getting so short, sh short changed yeah. on what is as important as learning how to add, like say over in Schulich yeah. you know, or how, how systems work? Yeah. Yeah. Is, people have decided that music doesn't really have much to do with that. Anymore, yeah. Yeah. You know, and they're sort of taking a sort of a, a seat. And when I first started here, I always thought, Oh, the music department seemed a little bitter. Yeah. But then I, I work here for nine years. I go, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah. I understand why. Yeah. There is, don't get sidestepped or pushed yeah. aside based on the fact that you teach music. Yeah. It's not just about music. That's right. That's right. right. You know? And you know, there are certain areas of the university that are becoming marginalized and sort of, you know, the focus has been shifting to, you know, in our university, for example, I think there's a, been a, a very big shift recently in in the business schools and in engineering mm -hmm. and in the sciences and things. You know that the, the, our our administration is really starting to push that. And whereas York University was a place that um, you know the strengths were always the social sciences and the humanities and the history and you know the soft sciences, right? The right. things that uh, really encourage the thinkers and, and you know, yeah. and a lot of those people went on to, to do great things. I mean, you know, political leaders and, you know, the, we have a lot of political science graduates that have gone on to be political leaders and yeah. a lot of lawyers that, you know, came out of Osgood that have, you know, shaped policy and things that have been very important. And that really had nothing to do with the skill set other than just opening up your mind to all kinds of different modes of thinking and reasoning, right? So yeah. I yeah. think things are becoming a little more structured and, and you know, but I have faith. I'm, 
part of me is pessimistic, but part of me has faith that the pendulum, you know, the pendulum always seems to swing yeah. hard left or hard right. And yeah, it happens. And it kind of goes around in cycles. Yeah, and, and based on who's who's up at the top, yeah. and, right? So hopefully the pendulum, we're sort of on a, yeah. you know, not to be political, or we're sort of hard right at the moment. And yes. I think if we can sort of get it towards the middle or... Where yeah. the left, it'll sort of come around full circle. Yeah. So I would, yeah. I mean, I would like to see a university that accepts all parts of it. Yeah, you know. And right now, we're not. We're yeah. not that. We're not in that mode. Being marginalized is an understatement. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I I think it's you know, and the whole thing. Whatever. We could shit talk the yeah. uh, university yeah. here, but at the same time, they have to be accountable. Yeah. for certain things. Yeah. that happened over the past six or seven years. Mm. And I don't know, my, you know, we can cut all this out after you hear what I've, my diatribe of, of, you know, but the whole idea of having a strike, yeah, having a strike six years ago was a three month long strike. Yeah. Something like yeah. that. Cut to two years after the strike. Oh, your operating budgets are less. Mm. Why? Well, it's just the economic where we're sitting with the school. Yeah. So you don't think that having people sitting out on a picket line for three months had anything to do with tuition being do- yeah. down? Yeah. Oh No. No, it's just the economic time we yeah, are. Yeah. You, so don't don't bullshit me. Yeah. Don't lie yeah. to me. Yeah. Say, well, listen, we screwed up and we got a low, you know, intern or low uh, yeah. enrollment. That's right. So we're gonna not just the bar now get needs to get lowered. So we need to let put yeah. less qualified people in. We need to fill seats. That's we need right. To put bums. That's in, right. That's in, right. In, in, in. Yeah. Yeah. And it, to me, it seems that it almost was set up yeah. in a way to downsize. And yeah. it's just conspiracy-minded. Yeah. Well, it's like, um, you know, it's, it's. I mean, it's not only unique to York University, and, and I think that's why we, we're in an interesting time right now, is that here we have U of T went through the same thing, and yeah. various other universities uh, across the province, across the country, have gone through the same, like what happened in Montreal last year. And, oh, yeah. You know, it it's an ongoing thing, and I think it's becoming a little more uh, apparent that the university system is in a little bit of crisis yeah. and we need to rethink the direction that we've been going. And I think we yeah. need to revert a little bit back to some uh, models where the university is not a place to churn out engineers. Yeah, it needs it to be. It could be, yeah, but okay. it's not the only Exactly. The thing. Um, thing about York is it's so short, knee-jerky reaction. Yeah. Bam, yeah. we're doing this now. Yeah. Oh, oh wait. Yeah. Uh, you know, okay, we're going to, there's never a five-year plan. Yeah, well, this is, <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, taking it back to our musical discussion of yeah. letting things settle in before you react. And, yeah, yeah. And, um, I just think you can't make everybody happy. No, no. of course not. No. But I think there's a, there's a happy medium where I think if you step back and look at the situation and sort of look, okay, where do we want to be in five years? Where do we want to be in 10 years? Mm-hmm. Then we can sort of set it in place instead of trying to move with every trend that seems to be the, you know, the buzzword around. And it all goes down to how things should be on trends. But Mm. that's, you know, when you make a direction, say if you're the Dean of of Fine Arts, from what we call Amped or something, his plan of attack is branding and this and changing and blah, 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 blah. And it frightens, this gets the shit out of me. It's like, really? There's a lot of things that worked. That's right. We shouldn't. Yeah. Don't, don't. uh, Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater stuff, you know? Yeah. And when you make a decision on, I understand it's a a really tough job. Yeah. But 
you're not going to make everybody happy. Yeah. But there needs to be a trend of, okay, well, we went this far, this long. We've gone a year and mm. we don't like this course anymore. So yeah. we're just, it's gone. Yeah. Well, didn't you think that maybe it needs to have a little working in period? That's where, right. That's you know, right. Yeah. So the whole idea of making things economical, it's... It's a it's a short term gain and a long term loss. As yeah, far yeah. as I'm concerned. Well, that, and that's the whole. Um, I mean, not to get too uh, leftist about it or whatever, but uh, I'm you know, with you, man. That's the whole sort of. <laughs> it's the neoliberal yeah. view of of let's sort of pursue things and let's shape things that are economically viable, um, and let the other things sort of go by the wayside. Where mm. um, you know, we're going to try this and it's not going to work financially or, you know, let's throw it out and go on to something else. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but that's yeah. sort of been the trend. But yeah, I mean, I have faith that things will, things need to slow down a little bit, I think, and yeah, we need to, they need to come full circle. I'm hoping. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. otherwise, if I'm not hoping, I'm not faithful, then it's a real yeah, drag. it's tough not to be pessimistic when it is. You know, right after that strike, we're over to this. Our left is this rock garden. Yeah, and it cost yeah. over a hundred thousand yeah. dollars to make. Yeah, it's a pile of rocks. Yeah. <laughs> so don't you think you take that hundred thousand dollars and maybe uh, yeah, yeah. make scholarship maybe yeah, or something? Possibly. I you know, know. my other I one know. was remember the stone out by the parking lot. There's a stone that had York yeah. on it. Yeah, well, it had a light. Oh, okay. And I'd come in at any time of the day, and that light would be on. Okay. I don't know why that drove me so nuts. <laughs> like, really? You can't switch the light off. That's cost 20 bucks a day. I you know, know if I, I was know. the president, I'd be like switching everybody's lights. Oh, yeah, we're working good. in the dark right now. Isn't that funny? Because they timed out. And <laughs> there were, you go. I'm, yeah, I think we're getting up to our, um, you know, time. But All right. I, All right. man, that was, that went, that went some cool spots. Right. I like yeah. that. I really appreciate you coming in early. Because we're at York now. Yeah, yeah. No Why don't you play guitar? I'm going to turn a light on. Sure. And uh, play a song. Okay. Maybe something. Sure. Some, something of your own. Sure. Thank you. 
Mike Godot, everybody. Thanks for listening. And there you have it, Mr. Mike Cadeau. That was fun, huh? That was a good time. Uh, everybody, I say it once a week. I'm going to say it again. Please go to iTunes. Please rate and review. Please subscribe. Give us a little review. Let me know what you think of the show. Let me know what you think of the guests. Um, have a say. Also like the Apple Podcast on Facebook. We're now on Stitcher. So if you go over to Stitcher and search at Apple Podcast, you'll find all the episodes there as well. Coming up next week, we have a short one coming up next week. It's Mr. Hugo Mudi, a guy who basically co-created a festival in Montreal called Pizza Fest. We kept it short. He was busy, so uh, we only went about 30 minutes. So if I find something else to put on, maybe I'll put something else, like maybe some music or something. So anyways, everybody, thanks a lot for tuning in one more time. You can Twitter me at SimonHead666. Also, go to Appalog.esy.es. Uh, we've got some changes happening there soon. Go shop with Amazon. Do all that stuff. Uh, really appreciate you coming around and listening to these podcasts. We'll see you next week. I'll be here. Uh, bye-bye.